You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards, and Taylor Polendo. We've all heard that you shouldn't talk about sex, politics, money, or religion. But why is that? What's the issue? My grandmother used to tell me there are some topics that we just don't talk about. Perhaps you've been told, I don't want to go there. Just leave it alone. Or you might have said to yourself, I'm not going to get into this. Popular magazines are full of advice on this topic. They tell us all kinds of things that we shouldn't talk about. Forbes magazine, for example, says in professional settings, we shouldn't talk about personal problems. We shouldn't talk about race, religion, or politics. Similar to work, some people give us advice about what we should talk about on a first date, but more importantly, what we shouldn't talk about. We shouldn't talk about exes, some people say, or sex or sexual experiences. Some people say don't talk about your psychologist or recent surgeries you've had, and certainly don't talk about the prescriptions you're taking or how long you've been single. One article I read said it just comes down to two categories, never talk about the past and never talk about the future. Business Insider says you should avoid things that are negative, like my boss is a jerk, or avoid things about hardships, like I'm getting a divorce. There's been a lot of research done on taboo topics in close relationships. Baxter and Wilmot found six primary areas that you and I avoid talking about in our close relationships. Anything that starts a fight, negative self-disclosures, the state of our relationship, or negative thoughts about our relationship, prior lovers, or current ones. Basically, anything that makes me look bad or us look bad. One way to think about taboo topics is to think about relational goals. It may come down to protection. Guerrero and Afifi say our reasons for avoiding are simple. We avoid to protect us, avoid to protect me, we avoid because I don't think you'll engage, and we avoid because it's socially inappropriate sometimes to discuss our topic right now. Petronio argues that some people believe they own certain topics in communication and therefore have the right to control those topics. Think of someone with a health problem. He or she might believe that that topic belongs solely to them. It doesn't belong to a friend and it isn't a property of the relationship. So something that is owned by an individual is different than something owned by a relationship. A couple might have a relationship and be expecting a baby. The baby would be a co-owned topic because it affects both of them. Whereas the health problem was something that affected only one individual. And by owning that topic, individuals believe they can control who gets to hear about it and who doesn't. Petronio argues that co-owned topics are different from individually owned topics. Therefore, any decisions regarding topic avoidance will depend on the topic itself and who is believed to own that topic. Now, of course, everyone's different. So think about the topics that you avoid. Are they based in relationship outcomes? Are they for self-protection? Sometimes you and I don't talk because we fear openness or risk of violation. We might be worried about the stress that a topic might cause or worried about a traumatic event that happened in our past that might get triggered. There's lots of reasons that you and I don't talk about things. But the key is to start thinking about what those are and where those things come from. When I make decisions about the topics I choose to talk about and ones I choose to avoid, it all comes down to the relationship for me. I ask myself, can the relationship support this topic? Or is the relationship too new or undeveloped to be able to support the topic? Some of us have friends who can support a heavy topic, but we also have friends who can't. Same with a lifelong partner. Just because he or she has a title, it doesn't mean they have the relationship to handle the topic. So as you reflect on who you talk about tough topics with and who you don't, 
Start to think about the circumstances of those situations where you choose to share or you don't. As you reflect on all of this, here's my advice. It all comes down to being selective. Be selective about the people that you talk about these topics with and be selective about your relational goals. Be selective about the context. Sometimes we can talk about certain topics in certain contexts, but really not others. And be selective about the timing. Sometimes topics need to be talked about, but not yet. We have good ideas, but they're just a little early. And so we wanna be careful about the timing of these topics. As Brene Brown reminds us, people have to earn the right to hear our story. And as you're evaluating who gets that right, that will help you navigate the deepest of topics. It's so funny on the first date, I didn't relate to that at all because I felt like you have to put it all out there to weed out the people. Yeah. (laughs) I did not hold back on dates. I think you might be exceptional. Yeah. Am I the exception to the rule on that one? Special, exceptional. It's probably why I had a lot of first dates. Not follow-ups. I'm definitely not. <laughs> Did you just say you had a lot of first dates but not a lot of follow-ups? <laughs> yeah. It was literally one guy, it felt like an interview. He he stopped talking. And I was like, you know, you could ask questions too, because I was asking a lot of questions. And he's like, Yeah, I know. I'll ask if I'm if I have a question. I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. So am I just gonna sit here and talk to myself? Wow. That's what happened. I'd say hit him with prescriptions and surgeries. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like politics and money still hold true in my social group. I think religion is for sure talked about all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one feels on the table for sure. And sex too. I talk about sex a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think that varies by relationship. And if you're talking about a close group, that's very different than yes. tips for the general public. Yeah, probably I'm not talking a lot about sex with just acquaintances right. at dinner. Or someone you just met. Sure. Well, I do think that there's some generational movement in this area. So I think if you took us 50 years ago, you'd have a longer list of taboo topics than you would maybe today. Oh, for sure. So I have this story that I want to tell you. Mm. So years ago, we lived in a small town in Illinois, and we used to go to the local library to get DVDs of videos that we wanted to watch. (laughs) Why do I feel like I know the end of this? (laughs) So I know I'm dating myself enormously. I took the kids down and they would be able to go through the children's section and get a couple DVDs to watch for the weekend. And so we went down there and you know how in the library there's different levels of quiet. So there's regular quiet, but then there's at some points it becomes library quiet where it's like, wow, that's so quiet. And just at the moment that we hit library quiet, my oldest says, are you and dad going to watch adult videos all weekend? Oh, (laughs) no. And I said, are you talking about children's in kind of a louder voice? Are you talking about children's videos versus adult videos? Who's watching them? And he goes, no. I want to know if you and dad are going to watch adult videos all weekend. And it's child's voice I have ever heard. And so now you have the communicative dilemma. You know how when you think there's like a span of who might have heard something, do you go louder (laughs) again than this very loud child in a library silent situation? Do I go, no. I'm in this dilemma, so we packed up and left. Oh, my God. I live in a small town in Illinois at this point. I know the neighbors are there. 
Oh my Somebody gosh. heard it and they tell that story at Christmas. Yeah. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, we're out. They're like, where are the videos? I'm like, they don't have any this week. <laughs> Even though we just looked through them. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So I was thinking about pornography being taboo, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, even the thought for me that you would think that I would be watching pornography, I wasn't watching it. And the thought that you might have thought that I might have also bothered me. <laughs> Not just watched it, rent it, go out and pick a topic and rent it. Yeah. And I thought that was a, a little gem <laughs> from the Kreiser family library, so to speak. That was so nice. Funny. So is that on the top of the list for you? of topics that are taboo. No, I think it varies, honestly. And I meant that when I did the intro, I think it depends on the relationship, largely whether the relationship can support the heaviness of the topic mm -hmm. yeah. or what, or the intimacy of the topic. It doesn't have to be the heaviness per se. The feeling of just that some people can't handle it, whatever it is. Some people just can't go there. Yeah, like you're for saying. sure. For me, a lot of it has to do with what that person can handle, what the context can handle, what the timing can handle. Can we handle this topic even in the time frame we have or the venue we're in? It seems like there's a lot of calculation that goes into that, honestly. I know we can all think of examples where we ran out of time or ran out of patience or picked a bigger story than our friend could handle. <laughs> and then they didn't give us maybe the reaction we wanted. Yeah. I just laughed because I feel like that's probably me all the time. What is you? <laughs> Picking the, the topic too big that someone can't handle. I was thinking that a lot of things um, that seem taboo, politics in particular, and especially religion, are things that we put our identity into. Mm -hmm. We don't separate a political party a lot of time or your religion from you necessarily. It's almost like that thinking is who you are. Mm -hmm. So then if you were to talk about that and someone said something negative about your group, it seems harder or maybe why people can't really engage in conversations that aren't just of an echo chamber where we're all agreeing mm -hmm. because they feel attacked personally because they've put their identity into those groups. I think that's really insightful based on all of the research that I talked about actually because we don't want to talk about negative things about our relationship. That's identity based. Cause that's like us as a couple mm -hmm. and we don't want to talk about any way I might look bad at work. Yeah. Even my story as funny as it is, is basically about what you'll think about me. Sex crazy Kreisers. <laughs> oh, exactly. We put labels on people when we maybe think differently. Oh, I think definitely think differently. Yeah. And the reality is if I heard that, phrase from a child in the library and it was somebody who I kind of knew in the neighborhood, I might be tempted to believe it. I would just for giggles. No, I mean, I don't know if I really believe it because it's out of a child's mouth, but then you yeah. kind of go, I don't know. I'd wink at you in the neighborhood yeah. at the grocery store. <laughs> I was just going to say, have you guys ever seen the movie Captain Fantastic? Yes. That's like my life goal. Have you seen it? I have, but I, I don't remember when. There's the scene where the youngest daughter is asking the, her dad about like what sex is or something. Hmm. And the dad is very, in the whole movie, he is very forthcoming with his children. He raises them in the wilderness, tells them everything that he's very blunt and honest with them. He wants to raise like free thinkers. Yeah. There's the scene where he, it, like you almost see him struggling with himself when the daughter is directly asking him, 
what is sex? Mm-hmm. And the movie, I always thought, oh, he's going to pause right here. This is where he can't go. But he completely goes there and is just so like clear of what it is. And the look on the kid's face is just like, well, why would people want to do that? And <laughs> just like, it's so, it's just so good. It made me think of how we respond to taboo topics. Mm-hmm. I think of the things that feel quote unquote taboo to me that I've had to kind of reorient as I've become my own adult. For me, especially money. I feel like money is the biggest one for me. Mm. And it's how people respond around you. And it's just like how your society responds kind of directs those things. Like if you're allowed to talk about them or not. Why do you think money was the biggest one? Hearing a lot around me, not just my own parents, but just a lot of people around me. You just don't ask people about the money that they make. Also know from past even relationships, I didn't know how to talk to men about money and the money they were making and how they were spending it. But I remember observing the way they'd spend it and I didn't feel it was responsible, Yeah, but I didn't know how to go there. How do I tell this guy I'm dating? I think the way he spends his money is irresponsible, but if I'm going to spend my life with somebody, like the way they spend their money is pretty important. Yeah. Baxter and Wilmot got me all twisted. (laughs) (laughs) Why did they get you all twisted? Because I think about the things they say we're not supposed to talk about and when I talk about those things, I feel closer to people, actually. Mm-hmm. I know why they believe in the th- certain things they believe in or why they make the decisions they do or why they spend the money the way that they, they do. It's It lets me see a little bit more insight into a person. And I, I like that. Well, I would say that if you have a productive conversation, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't look at the Baxter and Wilmot study and say, this is necessarily ends productively. These seem like they're preemptive strikes to not get into a conflict. Mm. So don't talk about something that starts a fight. Don't talk about something that's a negative self-disclosure. Don't talk about something that defines the relationship too early because that's going to be scary and we're not ready. Mm-hmm. Don't say any negative thoughts. And then don't talk about your, I like this, your current or prior lovers. Yeah. Your current lovers. Yeah, probably that <laughs> hey. would be a problem. <laughs> you never know. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's funny. I know the prior one, I was always a big one, right? Like, don't talk about your ex with your partner. But Mm -hmm. I actually, like, I've finally found, like, that's actually not that big a deal if it's for learning purposes and not just to bash them. Because I think that could get easy and then get old hearing that Mm -hmm. or even talking about it. But if you're doing it for learning's sake, like, oh, I'm reacting like this to you because that's what I had for the last so many years. But actually, you're not like that. So I don't have to act like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like in some relationships, when you bring up past, you can tell by their reaction, whether they've healed or maybe gotten over them completely. And I feel like that maybe is what starts actual fights. Mm. It's because you're like, hmm, you something touched a nerve there talking about your ex. If someone got really emotional, very angry, I would say like, wow, you haven't really moved on from that offense or whatever it was. Still tethered. That is what would bring up a fight for me. You're still attached to them in some way. Tethered, yeah. Just to take us back to unforgiveness. <laughs> yeah. But the one thing I don't, hadn't seen in the research, which would be interesting to know, is how, how much of that can a relationship handle and still survive? Yeah, that's a... Very... Survive or thrive? Survive. Good distinction, though. If you have half the things you can't talk about, I wonder, can you make it? 
I would not be able to. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to either. Yeah, like you said, not everything needs to be talked about or brought up all the time. And I think timing is important too. Sometimes I will, I'll wait to have a conversation until I think we have, yeah. we've all slept enough or like we can devote the amount of time that this topic needs. Yeah. Does reading the room like that come with age? Because I feel like I'm only now starting to see that there's a time and a place for things. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so you're calling me old. That's fine. No, I'm I'm just I feel like I'm like the middle child like that. Like we should talk about this now. <laughs> yeah. Way too much of that goes on. But then you heard me also in previous episodes talk about where we say we'll talk about it later and we never do. Mm-hmm. That's just straight out avoidance. Mm-hmm. People like to put off things and I I don't think that's bad. I think there is a time and place, but the time and place has to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It can't just be no no place, no time. Unless you think that relationship can't sustain that conversation. Yes. And we are just in avoidance, right? We are. Yeah, I I agree. If you can't handle it, you can't handle it. And we've all done that where we go, wow, this is not the reaction I thought I was going to get from this person. And maybe going in to explore this further will just be devastating for all of us. Something I found really interesting in the research was this idea of owning a topic. Last year I had COVID and I had some people reaching out to me that I didn't tell I had COVID and they were like, are you okay? Are you doing okay? And I thought, um, isn't this my story to tell, not yours? Mm, Yeah, I wouldn't like that. I didn't respond well. For me, I think I have some pretty big rules about that. Mm. Mm. Who gets to own the story? Yeah. We might make a decision or believe there was a violation because of the rules that we have in our minds about who owns the topics. And I was thinking of a potential violator of this might be a mother. So they might share information about their children to other people that isn't their story to tell. They share business that isn't necessarily business that should be shared by that mother. I can only say this because I am a mother, by the way, so all the mothers listening, I have the card that allows me to say this comment. And I just think it's, it's an interesting transition when you start transitioning children into adulthood and understanding that they have their own stories to tell and they're not yours to tell. Wasn't ready for that tonight. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) She's dropping bombs. It happens. And I'm not even relating it from a mother-daughter thing. I, I trust yeah. my mom to hold my secrets very well. But um, I can think of just stories like within families where things are are shared and it doesn't, it just doesn't belong to other people to share it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I can't figure out if those sharers are just like, hey, I want to tell you something new or something scary or something sensational. I don't know what they get out of the transmission of a story that doesn't, they don't personally own, but I do think it's a really interesting concept to think about that. I'll play a little devil's advocate for you as an overshare. Okay. So do you remember in your class, you had us do the strength finders test? Yeah. And I learned about myself as a relator that we are oversharers. We tell very boring stories because we add all these details that you do not care or need to know, but we feel like we're lying to you if we do not share these details. I didn't get told as a child, like don't talk about sex, money, religion, whatever, but I was very often scolded for oversharing the family secret. (laughs) Seven-year-old Taylor just chit-chatting with the neighbor. 
oh, this happened, whatever. <laughs> so Taylor, I have a question for you. So Brene Brown talks about the vulnerability hangover and mm -hmm. it's when someone shares more than they meant to share and they kind of wake up the next morning and say, I can't believe I oh, shared every that. day of my life, every day of my life. <laughs> okay. In my household, when people come over, I hear a lot of taboo topics talked about, but it's because everyone agrees with everyone. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's not the topic necessarily, but it's if everyone agrees. And it seems like we've lost the art of disagreeing and how to have a constructive conversation. And I think part of it is because we put our identity into those topics, but it seems like a lost art or maybe one we've never had because I know my grandparents' generation, like they didn't talk about anything. Mm -hmm. And even my parents, for some reason, we were not allowed to know that my grandparents had dentures. That was like a thing <laughs> that we had to pretend as children <laughs> didn't exist. But my parents were more honest with us, but my grandparents didn't want us to know that. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just seems like, I don't know if we've ever had that art of learning how to talk and disagree with people and have it be a nice conversation. Do you think that exists a lot? Well, I think we've really become polarized this year for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if we all went back to our homes, which means we all went back to our identities more securely. And we come out saying, if you're not on my team, you're on the other team. Yeah. I do think that we don't hold space for other points of view. And I can't tell if it's because we're threatened mm. by those ideas. Because if I let you have a different idea than me, then I might have to change my mind mm. or I might have to change my actions or my religious belief or whatever. And I always think in those instances where we can't hold space for difference, I think to myself, what are we so afraid of? I just think it's very interesting that we've we've gone from I disagree to now I can't even hold space for you to even have a speaking turn. Say, so is it because we do think we're going to be like convinced that they'll change our mind or something? I, I don't know, but I don't Why would that be so bad? I don't know. Like sometimes I think about it and I'm like, well, if someone had a really great idea and it was different than mine. I would like to know it if it's a great idea, even if it meant I had to do something different the fear of being shamed for how you think and the things you believe in, you know, yeah. or not having enough information. Mm. I think that brings up two thoughts for me. One is that sometimes I don't go fully into a topic if I don't feel I've done enough of my own homework. Mm -hmm. Who am I to have this conversation sort of thing? Mm -hmm. And then the other part of my brain is wondering if there's anyone else out there that has had thoughts of this is something you're not supposed to talk about. So then it makes you want to talk about it so much more because you're like, I'm not supposed to talk about this, but now I really want to know more about this thing. That I'm not it's like somebody telling you you can't do something, so then you want to go do it. I have just one story tonight, and that's when I was 18, I turned 18, my grandfather said, you're an adult now, so you can ask me anything you want. And I was like, oh, so like when I become an adult, I can talk about anything. And he said, well, you, you can ask me anything you want. I genuinely, like I think about my 18 year old self and my grandfather's no longer with us, but my poor grandpa, I like leaned in and I went, do you and grandma still have sex? <laughs> and the look on his face, I can't even, cause he did not talk about things like that. And the, the look on his face was like, I think completely frozen. And, and I went, Wait, grandpa, you just said I could ask anything. And he kind of like, like gave me, <laughs> but he was always so affectionate with my grandma. But he gave me like a wink and he was just like, you know, we do what we can. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
it was sort of like he was it was his way of telling me like yes and i was so blown away at 18 years old hearing that like mm-hmm. an 80 year old man still did that like i didn't know you know still had uh, sex or still couldn't talk about a topic both both good good observation yeah. both so i don't know i just have this thought on this which is like oh my gosh if i don't have enough information about one of these taboo things mainly to me politics and money those are the, the biggest ones for me i feel like depending on who i'm talking to like who am i to talk about a subject if i don't have enough experience or information on it so i try to be try to listen a little bit more but then i want to talk about those things because the other side of my brain is like we're not supposed to talk about this and i really want to like get into it I feel sometimes that it's not actually about who has more information, but just who's confident in sharing that information. I tend to be more question asking. I don't make as many definitive statements, but I don't know that that's necessarily because I'm not educated on a topic where I'll, I'll see someone else and they just speak with such confidence and their delivery. And so it makes me think like, oh, I kind of need to be quiet, but I don't know if it's actually that they're an expert in that area. That's a good point. Hmm. So they come across as having that expertise, not necessarily having it. Everybody wants to come across looking like they know information, but I I think it's sad to me that we would not be able to learn from each other because that's what I hear disabled in this exchange. Yeah. Somebody might have some information and I'm afraid to ask you because I might look bad or you're going to be overconfident even though you don't really know. And it's like, wow, where's the learning there? Yeah. So the work on this topic you said was be selective about your relationship goals, be selective of your timing. Mm -hmm. That's our takeaway this week on what to do around these topics. Not that any one of them is really off limits. That is the takeaway to say what relationships can support talking about these things and how can I be selective and how can I think about timing and context? I think it's interesting to kind of examine all four of those parameters and say, is this the right person? Is this the right relationship? Is this the right context? Is this the right time? And a lot of times I think people say, no, 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 no. Therefore never talk about it. (laughs) In a close relationship that you want to grow, that you want to be intimate, there needs to be some yeses somewhere in there. I still want to do this research about how many things can be off the table where they can still just survive, I guess. Yeah. Even friendship, I think. As the older I'm getting, my circle becomes smaller because I notice that like I I need to go there with people that are closer to me. I feel like a sense of not being able to be myself, not that I need to talk about these things all the time, but knowing you can't talk about something with someone Mm. feels restrictive. So as we're thinking through our TC4Gs and to remind everyone, these are the challenges that we think about at the end of these podcast episodes. These are the trading comfort for growth. So it stands TC4G, trading comfort for growth challenges that are takeaways of things we can work on. For me, I think one of the things that's come up in the last couple of weeks is reminding myself the people part of who can handle the topic and that some people Mm. can't handle certain topics and differentiating that and challenging myself to really see that cue and understand it, not to be critical of the person, but to be aware they can't handle this particular thing at this time. And I don't know if they can at a different time, but being selective and then that helps us not get into the place where the taboo gets us, I think. 
I like that. I'm I'm going to hop on your bandwagon a little bit. I'm not a cheater. Don't even say it. <laughs> my TC4G this week was going to be to try to be a better read of my room. Hmm. I wrestle with just being okay that people can't go there. I get frustrated with, especially people I'm close to, because I want them to be able to, like I want to grow with people. And so to not be critical if they can't, because growth starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm trying to not have that word vomit hangover. I'm going to be more selective. Vulnerability hangover. I like word vomit hangover. <laughs> I just mean like oversharing, my oversharing tendencies mm-hmm. that I feel like people aren't ready to receive. I think maybe that falls more under a selective of timing. I like what you're saying, Mary, like reading the room. I think it is going to be a balance of speaking with authority and also learning times to just be quiet and be observant and see if those relationships can go there in those spaces. Can we put a TC4G on each other? Because I just thought of one for you, Taylor. I'm not going to put it on you. I mean, you take it if you want. But I would say for you to be more discerning of the people you overshare with because it's worth it. I like to know that I'm dealing with a directly honest human being when I'm interacting with you. But I think to know who's worthy of that part of you and who just isn't because they're not paying attention. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I think we talked about that sort of in the birthday mindset and what I learned sitting on the jump seat. I remember sharing my new relationship and I could just feel the judgment of people. You know, when we sit on the jump seat, the first thing you, you know, ask, how old are you? Are you married? Do you have kids? Where do you live? And all I had to say was that I was getting married, I was 23, and that he'd been married before. And you could just see people, and I felt shamed. I felt this judgment on my relationship, and I started to feel shameful about a relationship I thought was amazing. And I was trying to reframe that. And so I was becoming more selective of who I shared my intimate details with, because strangers didn't know us. and. They had no idea like who I was marrying and they just thought, well, she's poor girl. (laughs) She's in for it. Yeah. Um, No, you got a good one. But yeah, I think I know I definitely do. But I think that is a big I mean, even over this last year, I'm still learning that. I'm like who who to trust with that information, who to trust with your your more intimate thoughts, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And as we think about taboo topics, the apparent lesson is we need to actively manage our interpersonal communication. We need to think about what we say, to whom we say it, in what context, and whether it's a good time. As we have seen, part of that management is to understand the people around us and identify if the relationship can handle supporting that topic that we're considering. Well, thank you for joining us today. And please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.